Welcome back to People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today, I have with me Joe Mullings, Chairman and CEO of the Mullings Group. Welcome, Joe. Good morning, good afternoon. I don't know what time zone you're in, but we're here on the East Coast. Good day. <laughs> I'm on the East Coast as well. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what you're passionate about. So the Mullings Group uh, is the world's leading search firm in the med tech life science industry. We've been at it for three decades, actually 32 years. More than 8,000 successful placements in that industry, dealing with venture capital, private equity, and some mid-cat companies. Our firm is the only search firm in the world that has its own media company, marketing company, production facility that specializes in building hiring brands for organizations. And we incorporate that into our search process for our clients, as well as the individuals in the markets who are looking for the next opportunity. Yeah. And so a big uh, portion of our conversation today will be about marketing and how you need to utilize what's available with content. Uh, So how do you utilize uh, what's out there with content um, in your own business? I'm a firm believer, you know, jumping right into it. I'm a firm believer that um, while leadership, meaning the C-suite, vice presidents, presidents, uh, chair people, CEOs, should have a portion of their compensation tied to hiring brand and the development and rating of their hiring brand in the marketplace. Because we hear executives all the time explain that people are our number one asset. However, if you really map activities back to that, it doesn't declare itself in evidence. And what I mean by that is in this market right now, and the market's moving forward, nothing's going to change. You know, people are talking about the hunt for talent, the great resignation, the transition of careers. You've got to create a hiring brand awareness. Who will I become in your organization as you think about hiring today and a year from now? And so most organizations are working off a legacy playbook, meaning that they are putting out job want ads, uh, saying what is needed, uh, employee must have or applicant must have, Yet they're rarely selling back to the marketplace of who will you become, what will you learn here, who will you be working with, and why is our corporation and or our product have a relevance in future-facing markets? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very much about, um, you know, here's why you deserve to work here instead of, you know, why should we deserve to have you? That's a fair statement. And, and, and people may, may you know, snicker at that, but you're spot on because if all you do is audit most of the job postings that are out there, and if you audit most of the activities on the social platforms um, and business platforms, it's requirements to and must-haves. You rarely will see a job posting or at least the call for talent where it opens up saying, Here's why the market we're in has got relevance over the next five years. Here's why the product and service that we provide to the market in that market that has promise over the next five years is going to help you build out your skill set. We know you're probably only going to stay here, statistically speaking, five years max. And so you put in a solid five years here, you're going to gain a skill set and you're going to grow as an individual in the forward-facing market. So if you're willing to invest in us, we'll invest in you. If you can put that before the must-haves, if you can put that before the requirements, you'd have a lot more success in the outcomes of the people who lean in for opportunities. 
Yeah. And you also talk a lot about storytelling and why you have to have a story behind your brand and why you have to share it with potential candidates. Uh, Could you go into the importance of storytelling? Yeah, happy to. So about uh, two and a half, three years ago, we came out with a concept called Hum, Sing, and Shout. And, And what that means is there's a chorus of messages that need to be out in a steady state online. And if you think of a hum, a hum is a low frequency, sort of low amplitude signal that should be out all day long. But nonetheless, it's making noise, constructive noise in the marketplace. And that might be something as simple as talking about your product, talking about your leadership team, talking about something maybe that's happening in the marketplace. But it always doesn't have to be about your company. It has to talk about what does a career in this market mean to you potentially downrange? How will you not become irrelevant in the emerging world of work? And so when you get that hum going on, then you overlay that with a sing. So it's a little bit of a higher amplitude, a little lower in cadence, of course, but it's sending out a message that maybe we're going to be at this industry show, or this is what's happened in our industry. Again, Maybe not what happened with our product or service, but this is what's happening on our industry that has the audience, and I use that word um, purposefully, audience who's watching your brand, watching who they may become as you release your, let's call it Nuco story, your Nuco channel to the, 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 the masses online. And then finally, the shout. The shout is, you may only have four to eight shouts a year on your channel. But those four to eight, sh- four to eight shouts per year are large amplitude, low frequency, big rocks that are being moved specifically with your company. Maybe it's a massive hire. Maybe it's a massive award you won. Maybe it's a massive financing funding. Maybe it's a massive quarterly results if you're public or private company. And those three in particular, you have to think about yourself programming to the masses on the LinkedIn platform in particular right now, future platforms will emerge where think of yourself as a TV channel to go back to the old days, TV, some people still watch it. And you have to have your programming on there because that passive market are really the people that you want. I'm not saying that the people who are actively looking are not valuable, but if you look at the entire distribution curve, the people that you probably want that are the force multipliers are happily employed and you want to appear in front of them 24-7, 365 with that hum-sing shout strategy. So when they decide to look, they can lean in to the hiring manager, not to HR. A players do not send their resumes into job postings. They typically go directly to the hiring manager, the VP or the C-suite, depending on the level, and personally reach out to them saying, I've been watching what you're doing. I've been watching what your company's doing. I watch how you support the entire industry you're in. I think I want to talk to you because I think I may be ready to move. That is the strategy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, um, you know, a lot of people aren't willing to wait for that type of investment, um, which it really is. It's an investment of attracting people based on those values that you're putting out there. Um, so what do you think the biggest mistake or some common mistakes that brands are doing when they are marketing themselves? Well, I'm, I'm really happy that they are marketing themselves. At least <laughs> they're, they're in the game. Most of the time, though, they're not putting a sort of long form story together for people 
um, to watch what's going on in their organization. They should be thinking about telling a four-part story. First of all, the market. Talk about the market in general. Support the market that you're in, independent of your product or service. The second part of that story is, okay, now you can talk about your product or service on how it applies to that market that's worthwhile betting the next five years of your career on. Then you want to talk about the team you're going to work with because who you work with is who you become. And it also informs your future-facing network. And then finally, the mission. And I think people these days over-index on the mission story. You have to know why you show up every day to work. It's not to get a paycheck because you can get that everywhere. But what's going to motivate you to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning, ride your bicycle or drive your car to the parking lot, get out and show up? Or in the WFX world, walk down the hallway in your slippers and your robe and tune into your Zoom, next Zoom call. Why are you going to show up? And maybe even more important these days, the mission, because you may not have a culture to go into physically, may be more important than ever, as well as who's the team you're playing for. Because at least when you used to go into an office or four walls of a location, you had a variety of people you interacted with. Could be anywhere from five to a hundred, depending on the environment you worked in. But now in this WFX environment, you may only be interacting with three to five people, max, in your work life. And that's a really interesting dynamic to think about. Mm -hmm. So as you evaluate the companies you're going to work for, who is going to be that Zoom face? or those Zoom faces in a very limited series that you're going to get satiated personally, professionally, and spiritually, and I don't mean religiously, to fill up your cup every day. That's a really interesting point to think about. Yeah. Do you see in your career, there's a lot of disconnect between the mission and business leaders or the mission and you know the people that make up the business itself? Well, I think what happens sometimes is that You've got to set an overused term, but let's use it because it will it'll register with everybody. You've got to set a North Star is, are you making a product or are you trying to impact a certain category or a certain populace or a certain sort of technology? What's your North Star? And setting that North Star up then could have a number of converging sort of missions that all inform in the same direction. The odds of you being able to have one specific mission that will broadly appeal to all the different types of people you're trying to speak to and at least get them to lean in. Oftentimes, I think of mission as a large funnel. It's got to be a large enough mission initiative, not mission statement, mission initiative that you can collect enough people who are willing to wear the same colors that you want to wear into that. And then as long as they feel that, they can then converge down into what the company is trying to drive forward. So unless you have a high level of frequency in your messaging to the market, the mission is really hard to get your arms around. So I've got to see your mission sort of activities in that funnel on a regular cadence. And too many organizations will spend $50,000 on a single video for four minutes long put it out there and then say, geez, nobody showed up and nobody sent us a resume. That doesn't work. No, it does work. The way you did it doesn't work. But you're better off with a high repetition, low cost cadence in the marketplace. And it could be as easy as doing it all on an iPhone. You don't need to bring in these big production companies to do this. You've got short and long form video on an iPhone. You've got short and long form copy 
you can put out on a LinkedIn platform. You've also got other people's articles or other outlets articles that you can point to that will collaborate and corroborate your mission on what you're trying to change, whatever that initiative is. So there's all kinds of ways to do this at a very low cost and a very low sort of cost from finances, manpower, et cetera, if you will set up processes to do so and you'll put a full-time role in your organization to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that you brought up the the 50 grand video because I was at an organization, uh, a startup that spent a quarter of a million on one four mi- minute video. And I'm sitting there, the person that they hired as their content, uh, content strategist watching this going, that's so much money. It's so, it's not worth it. It's not funny. It's, you know, it's, it's just going to be here and gone in, you know, two days. And where will that money be? Not not back in our pockets. So yeah, you are so right on, you know, where are companies putting, you know, their content marketing money? Well, some, some of that content marketing money is being driven from a good intention, um, ill-equipped and not uh, understanding of the hiring psyche in the marketplace. Oftentimes mm-hmm. that gets driven by the marketing department who are great marketeers but they're marketeers as it relates to their product and their service to the consumer or the B2B sale, not to the psyche of the populace that you're trying to attract to at least lean in to become aware and gather the attention of those people. And so you really need to go to, and and HR won't know that either. So HR is entirely different than talent access, and they're two entirely different functions. Yet in a majority of organizations, the executive team is dumped recruiting, or let's, let's call it talent attraction or access, and HR, internal compliance, benefits, DEI, all that. And they're two entirely different DNA mindset, yet they'll give that hiring video you know, placeholder to the marketing department that knows nothing about the psyche of the individual marketplace looking for career change or to HR who knows probably as little about what's going on in the mind of the person potentially looking and how do you track them for six months from now, not 30 days from now. Yeah. And I love, you know, the content strategy with the pillars. And I feel like a lot of organizations feel like they they need to be talking about themselves all the time. But education within the marketplace is far more valuable than putting your product or services out there every single day. Most people, my 32 years, I can tell you that they want to know who they're going to work with and why I should work with them. And then after you tell me what you make, that's cool. But you could have the coolest product in the world. But if you're working with a number of people who are not going to move you forward, again, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, and personal development, your retention is going to suffer. And, and I've seen this in the high-tech environment we work in. We've got some clients well, and or companies that we track And they've got some of the coolest technology in the world. And Mm -hmm. out of the gate, they'll attract those people because the tech attracted them. However, the back door on their attention issue is getting flooded on people heading out after they realize I'm learning nothing here. The tech can't keep me here. And again, foosball tables and ping pong tables and free lunches don't keep you there either. What keep you there 
are who am I working with every day and what are we trying to change in the marketplace with the service and or product we're making. Those two trump the tech all day long. And then the market is, is we saw an exodus years ago from the military market because people didn't want to be building products that potentially were taking lives instead of saving lives. Mm -hmm. And so you, you know, you have these socio sort of political and socioeconomic influxes into things is the populace now and the, the recent grads in the last 10 years are less interested in building weapons of destruction than they are potentially in building something as silly as an app or maybe a life science biotech medical device. And so you've got to understand that you're going to attract best in class and retain best in class if you give them something to drive for and the people they're showing up every day seem like you fit in their tribe. Yeah. And trends are headed toward, you know, people, especially Gen Z and even, you know, millennial generation, they want to be part of an organization that has a bigger purpose or that if something happens in our culture that's negative, they want a response from that organization or they want that organization to do more. So there's definitely a lot more nuance in, in how organizations, you know, manage their reputation and, you know, their branding. That's a fair statement. You know, what we have seen in the last, I'd say the last 15 years, if I, if I can go back and think it through is the integration of work life, you know, Mm -hmm. that those that, had, had been in the workforce in the, in the 70s and 80s and maybe even creeping into the 90s, had a bifurcation between work and life. Like you went into work, you got your buck kicked every day, but you were showing up every day because you had a mortgage, you had a SIG other, you might have had children, you had commitments. And that's the way people traded away hours of their life for a salary. I mean, it's a very broad statement, but it's a fair statement in context to where we are today. The work life integration has really become intermingled. And some of that is because of social media. Um, some of that is because of media itself on what they're trying to push through the media outlets to us. But the trading of information across lines now have become so blurred. And I believe it's a good thing. I think the work-life integration is a healthier environment. Um, now, it doesn't mean that there's, and there's nothing wrong with working 18-hour days if that's what you love to do. And there's nothing wrong with working an eight hour day, if that's what you want to do. But that work-life integration has put a burden on organizations to be able to dial in with a level of, of a bespoke experience to each individual where that hadn't happened in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, there are a lot of business leaders that really understand the future of work, understand that work-life balance that doesn't exist anymore because there's really no turning it off, especially with smartphones, um, that, you know, integration is, is a great word to use. It is integration because again, we're on 24 seven. We never had the ability to be reached. I go back to the beeper days and I go back to, you know, the first mobile phones that they called the brick, right? But when you used to leave the office, there was no way for you to be reached. Nobody was calling you ever on your home phone from work. And nobody could reach you via text in the middle of the night. And we were usually working just within the four walls of the factory and our office building we're in. But now that we've become an open border, permeable, if you will, workforce of time zones, geographies, 
and partnerships, right? There are more open architecture organization these days that mm-hmm. we're counting on because we've become such a specialized sort of society that you've got all these stakeholders working 24-7. And now you've got the methodology to contact you 24-7. So if you think you're going to be able to have a bifurcated life, you're probably going to be disappointed. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about another topic that we both really agree on, and that's using social media for recruitment and for candidates. Um, So social media has helped me more than any kind of job posting in terms of Facebook groups, Twitter chats, building relationships. How uh, do you view social media in terms of recruitment and job searching? That's an interesting subject. And so when you think about social media, the first thing you have to do is understand that all the platforms, while the same human being is taking in information from, let's use four of them for now. Let's use, let's use the four biggies for lack of a better term. Although TikTok should get in there sooner than later, but let's use, let's use LinkedIn as the professional platform. Let's use Facebook as the stay connected to friends, family, and alumni in our life. Let's use Twitter as bubblegum news. Um, and then use, let's use Instagram as a lush magazine that we like to look at pictures and escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, the challenge that most people sort of have is taking the same piece of content and cutting and pasting it across all four platforms. Now, me, my, my brain, when I'm at work on LinkedIn, and we've seen this on LinkedIn, the screams that come out and say, this is not Facebook. Stop putting your personal stuff on here. And if I'm on Facebook, I may not want to be solicited for a job. I, I want a place to go to, but I don't want to be solicited. I want to look at grandma and grandpa or my sister, or my buddies from college, and I don't want to be recruited on there. I'm like, dude, I'm in a different mindset right now. I got my, my, my glass of tequila. I'm sitting here at seven o'clock at night. I'm chilling. I don't want you soliciting me. But if I feel like I want to go to a group and inbound look to see what's going on, that's me. Mm-hmm. And then with Instagram, Instagram, That is a lush picture experience that you've got to think about your content on that and have a very short sort of, you know, place that allows me to go, huh, I'm not in the mood right now as I go through my scroll, but that little pithy and pick, I'm going to go check them out on LinkedIn tomorrow, or I'm going to go to their webpage tomorrow. It's a redirect, right? But you've got to understand that the human's brain is broken into those four quadrants and your content cannot be cut and pasted and expect an acceptance and an ongoing pursuit of that data in the wrong sort of modality based on where my head is at that point in time. But they're all powerful if you know how to use them. Yeah. So how do you kind of understand where the talent is based on those different personalities that each platform has? Well, the talent's everywhere. You know, although I don't think there's many 20 to 28 year olds that are on Facebook anymore, but you know, and, and there, uh, this is where I said, I went to the TikTok play. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've got to understand who is the brain I'm trying to reach and what platform are they on? And do I use, do I use content that educates? And that is the question that you have to ask yourself all the time as a species, we always want to be learning. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you go out there and you're telling exclusively and not teaching, 
And I'm assuming in the professional ranks, right, I'm looking for people who are building careers, don't have just jobs for this piece here. And and both are important. But I'm going to give you my answer is people who are building careers, not just going out to get a minimum wage job or, right, so some of this strategy may or may not work if I'm looking to staff my McDonald's. Definitely a needed category, but I may keep that in mind as to what is the sort of demographic, psychographic of who I'm getting and what do I have to put out to appeal to them. But I would say you want to have a 50% balance on teach and a 50% balance on tell as you put your content out. And then you can, you can sort of unwind what does that content mean from there. But what I find the biggest misstep people do is 100% of their content is tell versus what did I learn from the, gee, you taught me something. You taught me something relative to your category of product or service you're in. That has me interested. I'm going to follow you for a while because you're teaching me something that I had not been aware that I was interested in. And I'm going to go a little further down that rabbit hole and either learn something about that industry, learn something about what that industry does for mankind, maybe learn something about uh, a category sort of had an interest in. And then you can start to tell me how come your company and your market may be interesting for me from a career perspective. So I'd say, think about a 50-50 balance of content on tell and teach. Mm-hmm. Now, there's something that you mentioned that I find really interesting is that people typically view social platforms, you know, with the exception of LinkedIn, for their personal lives. So what is a way that you can start people getting people thinking about their professional lives through more, you know, like that Facebook where they want to connect with friends, family, they don't really want to, to be, you know, recruited. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's do this for a second. Let's say I owned, well, I'm just off the top of my head. Let's say I owned the company Garmin, or I was head of HR at Garmin, right? The, the fitness tracker, uh, the GPS thing, right? So what what if I what if I put my content around and I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram, right? So now I want to recruit people for the UI UX on my watch, on my Garmin watch. I would probably start putting my content around maybe the biometric um, monitoring of pulse rate, uh, uh, pulse oximetry. Uh, respiration rate, like the biometrics that Garmin does. And maybe I'll feature an athlete. We've seen this all the time. We've seen it with Nike online when they had the Williams sisters playing tennis, right? And, and Or these sports drinks, right? They would influence you as an athlete, but educate you online that you should need certain potassium, certain electrolytes along the mm-hmm. way. And they threw those words out to you and they showed the athlete in action. And that was a subtle entertainment slash infotainment teaching moment. And then you went out and you went and bought the sugar water that was really well branded to you in order to get you to influence to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And so if I was Garmin, I would put that Garmin product on. And let's say I was looking for UI UX engineers. And I knew you were a UI UX engineer or some sort of engineer in human factors on Facebook. I would go ahead and market that short. And it doesn't even have to be a video expensive wise is I can start putting a lush picture on and something that's super interesting about what that watch does. I pick a great picture and now I just market it to you as this is this watch 
is on this experience somewhere on Facebook. I'm not recruiting you, but I'm having you go, I'm scrolling through, and you pick a picture and or a short video that we call as a scroll stop, and it stops you. And as an engineer, I'm like, huh, that's pretty cool. And I see it again on Instagram because I can target you. And I see it again on Facebook the next day, and it ends up in targeted somewhere else. Now what I've done is I've created awareness around this. I'm teaching you a little bit about my device, and that's when you'll jump off that platform, and then you'll go to LinkedIn and or the Garmin, and then you'll go to the Garmin page on LinkedIn, and you'll see what openings they have, and then you'll start watching their content career appropriate on LinkedIn that I'm directly soliciting that same human being who is now open to being solicited for a career on LinkedIn, and this is where that entire chain of understanding how to direct the human mind based upon the platform they're on to end up where you want them to be on that LinkedIn and or webpage and looking at the openings there because I created enough awareness attention and I pulled you in in an infotainment way on that platform and now I can influence you to think about applying to a job here at Garmin. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I love being a content strategist is because there's an element of psychology and human behavior there. So it's really, really fun for me to think, how would this person react to this piece of content versus how would I react to this piece of content? And it's almost like you you play around with it um, until you find the best formula. And, and that's what I find fun about the challenge. And what mindset are they in? Because if I'm in a certain mindset and, and it's highly predictable on those four platforms I shared with you, what their mindset's going to be at that moment in time mm-hmm. relative to their career. Absolutely. Yeah, that is, yeah, there's so much nuance. Um, and I think a lot of people, especially business owners that have, that are stretched thin and have small teams, they don't have, you know, the time to think about, or they're so in the mix that they these you know aspects of marketing don't necessarily come to the forefront which is why it's important for us to have these conversations and you know for you to be out there and educating happy to share it it's a lot of fun and it works really well it's worked thousands of times for us and there's always the what happened and when you start to study data you can start to reverse engineer and say how can i make it happen and that's the big difference between the two. Yeah. So I know you told me you have three Tele Awards. Um, what other sort of uh, recognitions have you gotten for your work? Yeah, we had uh, three Tele Awards uh, that were all from, a, 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 again, a docuseries we did on technology coming out of Israel. Uh, we had won that. And, uh, you know, this, this, this organization from the um, production didn't exist four years ago, four and a half years ago. And with that, we are so certain based on evidence that telling stories at scale with the attention of informing and then directing people where they may want to look can greatly influence your career choices. And we've seen it for the last, gosh, I don't know, TV's been around 80 years, 70 years, whatever it's been, and we've had it on radio before then, is you can tell people where to look and you can influence people what to think. Um, and you can enhance their lives by it, which is as long as you're using your superpowers for good, that is all acceptable. It's when you start mm-hmm. to use your superpowers for bad, which is what media does. Media is an incredible weapon. And if you use that weapon for good, you'll end up in a really good place. If you l- use that weapon for bad, ultimately the karma train will catch you. So we have used it to tell stories at scale 
in our industry to attract and influence decisions in the medical device, health tech, healthcare industry to help build companies that are extending and saving lives. So we continue on to push that. We are the go-to in the med tech industry for telling these stories for these organizations. And we continue to grow out uh, our reach there around the world. That's awesome. Um, Joe, thank you so much for all the knowledge you've shared and your outlook. Um, and so before we wrap things up, do you have anything that you're working on that you would like to promote or a way that people can connect with you? Sure. If they want to uh, connect, it's uh, Joe Mullings on LinkedIn. Also, you can go to my uh, webpage, which is joemullings.com. Uh, and the Mullings Group is our search firm. So uh, anytime you want to uh, see what we're thinking and what are the uh, really advanced methods of finding talent for your company, you can usually go there when we're giving away tons of this kind of information um, at no cost. It's just to make the world and really the job market a better place. That's an incredible resource. Thank you so much, Joe. Again, I'm Lindsay, host of People Analytics. And if you or anyone else you know uh, has something great to say about the uh, people space, feel free to reach out to me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.